Thank you, Dr. Christopher. Praise the Lord for that uh, word in song in both pieces. First one from Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. I went back to the archives uh, of my Christmas messages. Please understand uh, when you are at one church as a senior pastor for 30 years as I've been uh, and you preach two or three or four uh, Christmas messages a year, uh, do the math. (laughs) It's over a hundred Christmas messages, a hundred messages on one theme. So I thought, uh, have I shared something that a long, long time ago uh, that uh, I've not uh, shared in recent times? And so I went back over 20 years ago and looked at a four-part series that I brought, uh, and I reworked it, retooled it for this year, and the reason why I did is because it's my favorite theme in life. It's my favorite practice, my favorite occupation in all of life, and that is worship. Oh, worship the King. And so this morning, we begin a a four-part series of messages titled, Oh, Worship the King, culminating in the late night Christmas Eve service um, in two weeks. So the next couple of Sunday mornings as well, this focus will be ours to consider. And today, part one, Jesus is worthy of our praise. Now, Dr. Christopher, Brother Saylor, did not know that that was going to be the subtitle of today's uh, message, and I didn't know uh, at the time of, of working on this and studying and the like uh, that uh, what they were going to be sharing in song. But of course, God knew, and we have uh, rehearsed much today the very subject of Jesus being worthy of our praise. Worship. Worship is a state of being consumed with the glorious majesty. Of God. It is to experience his presence in a profound way. And folks, understand, and just by way of reminder, and reminder of me uh, as well, worship is not something that happens to you. You don't go to a service such as this, or you ought not, uh, thinking, well, uh, I hope somebody says something or does something, or the song leader leads us some way, so that I might experience worship. No, worship emanates from you. It leaves you. It's demonstrative. It is uh, to find its way to the throne room as it emanates from me. Therefore, worship is active. uh, And it is an engaging of the will because worship is attributing worth. You know, uh, you've heard it it joked that... uh, there are people who uh, don't go to church on Sunday morning, uh, don't go to a service such as this. Instead, they want to get uh, an early tea, uh, tea time at the golf course and will say, uh, after all, I can worship God on the golf course. Is that true? Can a believer worship God on the golf course? Yea, you must worship God on the golf course. Now, if you play golf like me, that's a good test to see whether you'll engage the Lord in worship or not um, because of other issues that are going on with the golf game. 
but of course you can worship God. You must worship him on the golf course, at work, at home, and in a corporate gathering as we have here. But make no mistake about it. Worship is not something that happens to you. Worship is something that emanates from you to the throne room. John MacArthur wrote, worship is an expressed attitude of the heart that is so filled at wonder and thanksgiving with the person of work of God that it is abandoned to praise and adoration. And so I ask all of us, does this sound like you? Does this sound like me? That I am so occupied with the glory, the majesty, the wonder of the Lord, of who Christ is and what he's done, that I am simply walking around day in, day out, praising him, thanking him, uh, uh, basking uh, in the presence of his glory day in and day out. For folks, to know him intimately is to praise him enthusiastically. Let me say that one more time. To know him intimately, to really know the Lord, is to praise him enthusiastically. And that's what Christmas is uh, all about. The spirit. People say, are you in the Christmas spirit? Brother Sayers alluded to it over the years. I have as well. Are you in the spirit of Christmas? Well, if you are in a spirit of worship, then yes. But if not, uh, then no. For the spirit of Christmas is not giving gifts to family. It's not making cookies and giving it to the neighbor. That's not the spirit of Christmas. Now, that might be an overflow of it, but the spirit of Christmas is worship of the Almighty. Amen? And we gather today to do just that and have done just that. Turn to the book of Hebrews, if you would. Chapter 1, the book of Hebrews, preached through it a number of years ago, and we're in chapter uh, 1 many years ago, but I wanted to revisit chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. Chapter 1, the first three verses, for the book of Hebrews deals with one subject, the superiority of Christ. That's the overarching subject. Christ is superior uh, to, uh, to the law, to Moses, to angels, uh, to everything and anything, to the uh, um, uh, Levitical uh, priest system. Everything and anything that could be presented uh, by way of, uh, of comparison, he is superior to all. And chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3 introduces that thought. Chapter 1 and verse 1. God, who at sundry or various times and in diverse manners spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who, being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Three points if you're taking notes. And we see it, I think, somewhat clearly in these verses. First of all, we see the preparation for Christ in verse one. In the Old Testament, God spoke through many portions, many volumes of writing, of written text, God-inspired text. Holy men of old spoke as they were moved, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And we can look and we can see that time after time after time, 
prophet after prophet in the Psalms, in the book, uh, uh, books of history, in the, uh, the Pentateuch, that is the books of the law, we see uh, intimated or even pretty clearly stated uh, Christ uh, in how he is being revealed. And so the Old Testament was preparing the world for the coming of Christ. Now, in that time, God revealed himself in symbols, in, uh, in visions, uh, in voices, in angels, and even in theophanies, that is Old Testament physical appearances of the Lord. And over and over again, we see the uh, Old Testament pointing to Christ all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Before they were expelled from the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter 3, The Lord told Adam and Eve that there was coming one born of a woman who would ultimately crush the head of the enemy. We see the very first uh, uh, intimation, uh, and and Brother Gary and I spoke about this word uh, this week, and I hope I say it right, the uh, 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 protevangelium, the first gospel was given to Adam and Eve in a fallen state all the way back in the Garden of Eden, and of course fulfilled in Christ and will be ultimately fulfilled in the destruction of Satan. The Old Testament pointing to Christ, preparing the world for his arrival and the fulfillment of Old Testament passages. In other words, in, in fact, one particular point of reference, Jesus spoke to two men on the road to a city of Emmaus after his resurrection in Luke 24 verses 44 and 45, and he said unto them, these are the words which I spoke unto you while I was with you, that all things might be, must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms, folks, concerning me. Then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures, that they might understand the Old Testament was preparing the way for Christ to be known and to be understood. Now, to be sure, most of the world didn't pay attention to that, and in fact, they were unprepared, although there were, there were some, in fact, likely even many, who did see that he, in fact, is the Christ. He is the king who would, in fact, come. So Jesus is worthy of our praise in that he is the fulfillment of the messages that were given in the Old Testament of the coming Messiah, Redeemer, um, Savior. That's an amazing thing. Think about that, folks. Think about that. Uh, In in the beginning of recorded time, uh, in the Garden of Eden, the Lord told Adam and Eve, and it was written down sometime later by Moses as inspired text that, yes, sin has entered, and yes, death because of sin But one day there is going to be ultimate victory when the head of the enemy is crushed. Revelation chapter 20, Satan and his followers are cast into a lake of fire. The preparation for Christ, we we praise uh, the Lord for what he has given us in that. And now secondly, in the first part of verse 2, we see the presentation of, of Christ. He is revealed. He hath, in verse 2, in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. The Old Testament revelation uh, was preparatory. It revealed 
uh, the true and living uh, God that one would come and then in fact he arrived. That's what Christmas is, the incarnation, uh, God with us, um, Emmanuel. And the word of God in the New Testament makes that very clear, presenting the actual person and work of the Lord Jesus to the degree that Colossians 2.9 says that in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. All the fullness. Uh, Jesus said, if you have seen me, what? You have seen the Father. You have seen the eternal God, if you have seen me. Now, of course, the flesh veiled his glory so that we could look upon him, uh, so that we could interact with him. The apostle John said, uh, uh, my hands have, my eyes have seen, my hands have touched. Uh, of the word of life. He allowed us to interact. God allowed us to interact with himself in Christ uh, being presented to the world. In fact, I had that in my notes. John 14, 9, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Now, what about that? What about him coming into the world. Who is this one who came into the world as Emmanuel? Well, John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, that is, face to face with God, and now to be uh, incredibly uh, d- definitive and, um, and declaratory, and the Word was God. Well, who is this Word who is, in fact, God? Well, verse 14 of the same chapter goes on to identify the word. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And folks, the word, uh, the phrase there, only begotten, uh, that is, uh, of the unique, um, of the unique kind, one of, one of that kind. The only one of that kind. In other words, this is God revealing God. He was uh, uh, only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spoke. He that cometh after me is preferred before me. He, he has higher priority. He's superior to, more, to me. Why? For he was before me. Now, who was physically born on this earth first? John uh, the Baptist or Jesus? John the Baptist was uh, a number of months earlier than Jesus was born. Elizabeth uh, was already two thirds of the way through her gestation period when Mary said she was carrying uh, the, uh, uh, the virgin conceived child. And John the Baptist did what when Mary came into the presence of Elizabeth? He, he leapt, he jumped, and he was then born months before Jesus. And yet, the text, the inspired text says that he, Christ, was before me, clearly intimating the pre-existence of Christ, the eternality of the Lord. Wow. Jesus is worthy of our praise because in his presentation, we see the complete Revelation of the infinite, eternal, glorious God. Now, mankind has been given revelation all along. The heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm 19 and verse 1. Romans 1 uh, says that uh, creation um, 
reveals God's presence so that people are without excuse. Romans chapter 2 says, conscience tells you that God is because you don't have to, uh, a three-year-old doesn't have to know anything about the law of God, and yet when he steals a cookie, notice I didn't say she, when he steals a cookie, he goes and hides. Why? Because his conscience tells him he has violated morality. And so Romans 2 says, your conscience is a revelation uh, that God is, but the full, complete picture is in fact Christ himself, the glory, we beheld his glory, the glory as of God himself, full of grace and truth. And so we have the preparation for Christ in the Old Testament, and he fulfilled that in the presentation of Christ. And then the, the, the lion's share of the book of Hebrews presents the third point, the preeminence of Christ, the superiority of Christ, that Lord, the Lord Jesus is unrivaled in greatness. Now, I have to uh, check my own heart regularly. Maybe you do as well. Am I putting anything or anyone in front of his preeminence, including myself, including my own wants, wishes, and desires? For if I am, then uh, in that moment, I'm not seeing him as preeminent, as the one who is ruling and reigning uh, or should be uh, in my life. And so this is a good reminder to me, uh, maybe for all of us, that he is preeminent. We see that in the text uh, at the end of verse 2 and in verse 3. He's been made appointed heir of all things. He made the worlds. He's the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He has purged us from our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. The preeminence of Christ causes us to want to praise him, to adore him, to revere him, to thank him, to obey him, to trust him, for he is preeminent. That is, he is number one. And and there isn't any number two, three, four, or five. He alone stands as preeminent in the life of the believer. And if not, then uh, that person, in fact, uh, has displaced his lordship uh, for that moment anyway. Colossians 1, 18 and 19 tell us, and he's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. He has first place. He is the reigning Lord of my life. Is he the reigning and ruling Lord of your life? Truly, is he? Folks, I tell you, uh, I'm concerned about folks who so flippantly and irreverently uh, talk about the Christmas season and, and the joy, uh, uh, joy to the Lord, uh, uh, joy to the world, the Lord has come, and uh, hark the herald angels sing, glory to uh, the newborn king, while getting drunk, while blaspheming in, in conversation uh, with the, the neighbor. Do you all appreciate what I'm saying? Do you hear what I'm saying? I mean, I'm concerned for that life and that soul that you could so flippantly handle the things of God. How dare mankind do that? 
when he, and he alone, is preeminent. He is superior over all. May we never be guilty of such vile uh, action, conversation, uh, and the like. The preeminence of Christ. First of all, he receives all things. Look at verse 2. Whom he hath appointed heir. He's the receiver of all things. He will inherit all things. It's similar to what Romans eleven thirty six 36 says, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. And so it is saying that Jesus is the center of the universe. He is the center of all things which pertain to us. He is the focal point, uh, the purpose of me. My purpose, the purpose of you, is to bring praise to him, for he is the heir of all things. He's to inherit all that. One day he will receive all glory. Now, folks, think about that. One day he will receive all glory. For Philippians chapter 2 says that, uh, wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him Christ a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There will be many who will bow and say, you are Lord and you have saved me. And there will be many, the majority, who will bow and say, you are Lord and you are going to judge me. Oh my, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, Hebrews tells us. And so we have a message to tell to the nations that he is Lord, Christ is Lord. Praise him. Oh, worship the king. That is the spirit of Christmas. Uh, and that's being revealed to us here in this passage. So he receives all praise and glory. Notice, he's the creator of all things there in chapter 1 and verse 2. He's the creator of all things. By him, the worlds were made. Didn't you, uh, didn't you enjoy, was it last Sunday, uh, when the, the two children uh, uh, talked about uh, 4.5 billion years ago, um, when the candy bar was first, first evolved, it started off as a Hershey bar, just plain chocolate. And then a few billion years later, an almond was picked up, uh, and it became an almond. And then somewhere along the way, uh, some coconut uh, came in, but that had to kick the almond out to make room for the coconut, and it became a mounds bar, and, and on and on. And the foolishness of such a and yet presented by the children, it was such delightful, but it, it reminded me, uh, folks, the PhDs on our university campuses, so many of them don't have the understanding of a 10, 11-year-old uh, about who God is and what, what really did happen. It takes a whole lot more faith mingled with foolishness to believe that everything just came about spontaneously somewhere along the way. And the most recent uh, um, suggestion when it is proposed, okay, what was ground zero? Where did that matter? Where did that matter come from? For all of this to evolve, aliens planted it. <laughs> 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 uh, 
can, can you hear an educated professor in a, in a, in a, uh, in a postgraduate course tell the students, aliens planted the matter here? <laughs> it is so, will you allow me to say it? Asinine that it is laughable. And yet the world has bought into that. Where we, uneducated, just normal working folks, right? We can look at the text and say, oh, Christ made the world, made the worlds. Praise him, amen? <laughs> oh, worship the king, uh, he made. I'm just simple enough to believe that and to rejoice in the clarity that God spoke and he told us what happened. Wow, he is the creator of all things. Colossians 1.16 says, for by him were all things created and all things were created by him and for him. And only God can create. Only God can, out of nothingness, bring about everything. Therefore, the Lord Jesus, the one who took on flesh, was born as a baby, is none other than the creator God of Genesis 1 and 2. The very one. For by him the worlds were formed. By him all things were created. And then we see in verse 3 of our text, he's the provider of all things. Notice, who being the brightness, the radiance of his glory. He sends forth light just as the rays of the sun light the earth and provide life. God the Son is spiritual light and shines into the hearts of those who turn to him and who believe. Folks, when I was lost, I didn't know God. I didn't know I needed to know God. I didn't know how to find God. I didn't even know the way to look for the Lord. Didn't know any of that. It never even occurred to me. So what had to happen to arrest my attention, wake me up out of that stupor, give life to that spiritual deadness, what happened was he had to invade my space. You see, light, darkness never drives out light. Light always drives out darkness. If you have a room lit up like this one is, you can bring in truckload after truckload of darkness and the light is still there, right? But if you have total darkness, all you need it's a little flickering light. And the darkness flees and hides. Similarly, when he quickened me, Ephesians 2.1, you have he quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. When he woke me up, the dungeon flamed with light. I stood up. I saw that I was in chains. I saw that he provided a way for me to be rescued, reached out a hand of faith. Lord, save me. And he did. And I was born again. Have you been born again? Have you been recreated, reborn, renewed in your spirit? Praise him for that. He is the provider of all things. Colossians 1.17 says, By him all things are held together. All things consist. So it isn't just that he created and let it go on its way. He created and he was the glue and is the glue who holds it all together. <clears throat> He's got the whole world 
in his hands. He's got the whole wide world. That's enough of that. But you, you're continuing on. <laughs> now, you're going to be thinking about that all the rest of the day, aren't you? Thanks a lot, preacher. That's the theology of he formed the world and he holds it all together. To Christ alone be all praise and glory. He is worthy. Notice also, he provided the perfect sacrifice. He uh, upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he had by himself purged our sins. What happens when you purge something? You eliminate all of the soiling of it. We put our clothes in the washing machine with soap because we hope to purge the dirt, the whatever the stains are, the grape juice stains, out from the fabric. Well, similarly, although that's not perfect, this was. My sins were forgiven, were, were purged, were removed. Talked about it last night uh, with a couple uh, about 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, home will go. Say it, the same thing that God says about it. And mean it. Lord, I'm a sinner. I've sinned. And, uh, and I'm believing the gospel. He is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He purged your sins if you have believed. Praise the Lord. Christmas is about worship. Worship for who he is and what he has done. Notice also in verse 3, this is, I, I, thought, I hadn't thought about this, thought, this point in a long time. I don't even remember the last time I thought about it. But notice it says in verse 3, he purged our, our, our sins and, if, and he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Many years ago, I brought a series of Lord's Supper messages here on the furniture of the tabernacle and the temple. That is, the furniture. What, what were the furnishings that were in the temple? The, uh, the, uh, the table of, of showbread, uh, the uh, candelabra, the sacrificial uh, altar, uh, the, uh, the, the bronze laver for, for washing of the hand and the like. All of those various pieces of furniture. And you'll remember... What was the one noticeably absent piece of furniture? The chair. No chair. There was never a chair on which to sit down in the tabernacle or in the temple because the priest's work was never done. Day after day, month after month, for the high priest, year after year, bringing offerings to cover the sins of the people, not to remove it, but to cover it until the Lamb of God would ultimately come. But notice, here in the presence of God, he sat down. The work is done. <laughs> Folks, the work is done. I tell you, that, that tickles me. Um, I rejoice in Christ for what he has done. He is superior to the Levitical system. He is superior to your religion. He is superior to anything that you can work up, anything I could work up to be acceptable to God. He is preeminent over that in his offering. And so it's no wonder that believers throughout the ages have been strangely moved to praise 
the Lord Jesus rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods and rocks, hills and hills uh, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Sing, choir, choirs of angels, sing in exultation. Oh, sing, all ye bright hosts of heaven above. Glory to God, all glory in the highest. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. We were given in the Old Testament preparation, that is, mankind was. And then he was presented in the Gospels and in the letters of the New Testament. And the overarching principle is he is preeminent. Now, by virtue of that, folks, my only reasonable, rational response is to humbly, in a spirit of dependence, follow him. Praise him. Adore him. Believe what he has said. To do otherwise really is irrational. It's foolish to say, oh, I I see all of those points that you're bringing out. And maybe I'll think about that uh, and get around to it later. What? You're telling the God of the universe to just hold off for a bit. I'll put you on hold. I've got things I need to attend to over here. That's quite audacious for someone uh, to dare say, God, I'll get back to you when presented with truth. Or I'm not going to get back to you. Uh, I, I don't have any use for it. When you've been given the wisdom of God. In the book of Proverbs, learned about this recently, presenting biblical wisdom. And it said uh, in one of the verses, To hate me, to hate biblical wisdom, is to love death. If you hate biblical wisdom, you love death. Even if you're not aware that you love death. And so folks, this is a message of redemption. Maybe redemption for your soul that if you've never bowed before him, you've never said, yes, Lord Jesus, save me, forgive me. And I'm going to offer genuine praise from my lips and from my life because anything else is inadequate. Maybe you already know the Lord and you've come to the point of recognizing, are you going through the motions? Are, are, are these days not fresh? And that does happen. I say it can happen. It does happen to likely all of us at any given moment. Uh, we get caught up in the busyness of life. You know the easiest place to backslide? while you're in the ministry. You get caught up with the machinations of Road to Bethlehem, of Awana, of serving on this committee, uh, 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 on and on and on. Uh, 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 Brother Kiro's caring for other missionaries in other countries that are having difficult time. We just get caught up in the work of God instead of being caught up in the God of the work. You appreciate the distinction? So let this Christmas and forevermore be a time where you will say, oh, worship the King, all glorious above. And you will join with the angels in, in great exultation.
Oh, come, let us adore him. Lord, I'm so thankful for this, your word. Oh, what, what a, a ocean liner full of content are these three verses in Hebrews 1. You are all of these things and more. You're preeminent. And Lord, my calling, my command, my obligation is to humbly bow before you and follow you all my days, all the days that you give me and you give us. So move in our hearts, bring conviction of sin to each of your children. Draw to yourself those who don't know you, that even today you would be glorified.